The FDA has just approved the Pfizer vaccine. Or has it? It turns out you can't actually get any of the approved vaccine. It's a little complicated. I'm going to explain it to you, and it's important because a lot of people's jobs are relying on what happens next. Come on, let's go find out. The following is the audio version of a video released at peakprosperity.com. Visit peakprosperity.com to watch the video and to find other insightful content such as articles, discussion forums, and exclusive subscriber-only content. Hello everyone, Dr. Chris Martinson here, and today we're going to be discussing a really important topic, which is, um, for a lot of people, is are they going to get the jab or are they going to keep their job? And that's what it's coming down to for a lot of people, because the numbers say a significant number of people remain unvaccinated in the United States, and we're going to be exploring what this new FDA approval actually means. So let's take a look at it. I think somebody framed this really well for all of us here. Let me get my drawing tool out, as I like to do. Um, so got a message, and this came in and uh, from R. Kosmala saying, uh, Today, the FDA officially approved COVID vaccine. As a result, I expect many businesses will mandate the vaccine. And that's absolutely correct. Who takes liability for death or disability from the vaccine? Government? Drug company? Employer? I've read that employers in the past who mandated vaccines relied on disability insurance and state workers' compensation for long-term health care issues. But what about death? Also, can part-time employees be forced to get vaccinated? Part-time employees do not get disability from their employer. Also, what about liability for students if they are forced to get the vaccine? lot of great questions there, and I fortunately can't answer all of them, but we're going to start unpacking that because these are really critical questions. So let's dive right in and take a look. Uh, this is how the New York Times reported it. They said, fully approves, fully approves Pfizer-BioNTech's vaccine. This is actually not even close to accurate. So mm, better luck next time, headline writer at the New York Times, and we'll tell you why in just a second. But first, let's look at what they say here. Uh, the Food and Drug Administration on Monday granted full approval to Pfizer-BioNTech's coronavirus vaccine for people 16 and older. A decision is likely to set off a cascade of vaccine requirements by hospitals, colleges, universities, corporations, and other organizations. Now, why would they have to do that, set off mandates? Because a lot of people in those institutions have not elected to get vaccinated yet. The numbers are actually pretty staggering. It's not an even-steven thing, but a lot of healthcare workers have decided not to. So we're going to explore why that is, uh, particularly in part two of this, which is going to be over at my website. Uh, there's some really fascinating data there. So within hours, the Pentagon, CVS, the State University of New York system, and the New York City school system, among others, announced they would enforce mandates they had prepared but had made contingent on the FDA's action. Now, this is where things a little bit of uh, detail comes in. I'm going to explain to you what you should be looking for if you're going to get vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine, because there's actually two of them now that you have to worry about. So let's talk about that. And by the way, just to cut to the chase, for those of you who want uh, the answer right up front, this is what's been approved. It's called Comirnaty. I don't know how to pronounce that. Comirnaty. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's been approved. Not approved. Still under EUA is this stuff. The BNT162B2. This is the stuff that everybody's been vaccinated with. By the way, this is approved, but exactly zero of it is currently on the market right now. So if you went down to CVS and said, I want to get vaccinated with the fully approved FDA Pfizer vaccine, they ain't got any. It does not yet exist here. Um, and I don't know what the supply issues are. I don't know how long that's going to take. But here's the letter. So this just came out on August 23rd from the FDA. Uh, actually, there were two letters sent out. So this is the letter that was sent to Pfizer. There was another letter sent to BioNTech, the BioNTech company, right? BioNTech is going to be the one making the Comirnaty, and Pfizer still continues to make this other stuff here. So uh, Ms. Haskins, uh, Ms. Harkins here got a letter from the FDA saying on February 4th, 2020, that's early, remember? February 4th, 2020, like that was fast. Got an interesting story about that. Pursuant to all this gobbledygook here, the FDA, Cosmetic Act of whatever, whatever, the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services determined that there's a public health emergency that has a significant potential to affect national security or health and security of United States citizens living abroad. 
And that involves the virus that causes coronavirus disease, COVID-19. So, hey, good distinction. Remember, there's a virus, SARS-CoV-2, and it causes a disease called COVID. I like to keep these things separate whenever possible. COVID's the disease. SARS-2 is actually the virus. All right. So they, they parse that out uh, just correctly here. On the basis of such um, determination, the Secretary of HHS on March 27th, 2020, declared that circumstances exist justifying the authorization of emergency use of drugs and biological products during the COVID-19 pandemic pursuant to this junk here, subject to terms, blah, blah, blah. Under, all right, so there was an emergency use authorization that happened in March. So this timeline is actually kind of kind of important. I'll, you'll see why in just a second, um, why we're going forward to this. And um, so then on December 11th, 2020, the FDA issued an emergency use authorization for the emergency use of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine for the prevention of COVID-19 for individuals 16 years of age or older, pursuant to all this other stuff. Um, as well, the FDA reissued the letter of authorization on December 23rd, 2020, on February 25th, 2021, May 10th, 2021, June 25th, 2021, and most recently, August 12th, 2021. So this EUA keeps getting reissued. There's a reissuance of this emergency use authorization letter that applies to this stuff, which is the Pfizer-BioNTech um, product. On August 23rd, 2021, the FDA approved the biologics license application, that's the BLA, submitted by BioNTech Manufacturing for Comirnaty vaccine. So they approved a BLA. So that's a, what a full approval looks like. So they actually fully approved the BLA for this Comirnaty stuff. Um, for active immunization to prevent COVID-19 caused by this stuff. So what does that mean? What, what What's happening here? So Pfizer went ahead and... Uh, formed a collaboration with this uh, BioNTech company, and together they made this vaccine. It's called the Pfizer vaccine. Now the FDA has issued two separate letters, one to BioNTech, one to Pfizer. Pfizer is still selling, marketing, and people are still getting injected with the original Pfizer vaccine. It's the only one that's been out there. But the FDA just also issued a letter that now authorizes the BLA for this other stuff called Comirnaty. I think they're pretty much identical. They, they should be, although if you read the letters carefully, they're allowed to differ somewhat. And I don't know in what regards, right? I don't know if, you know, maybe there's slightly different formulations. Maybe the lipid capsules are made different. Maybe they are stabilized differently. I don't know, right? But uh, for now, we can consider them roughly equivalent with some minor differences. I think that's a fair way to look at it. So, so is the EUA still actually in effect then? Because fully approved... And an EUA are separate things entirely. They have nothing to do with each other. They're completely different legal processes. So here's, here's the money shot in this particular story. On August 23rd, 2021, and this comes from the FDA approval letter to Pfizer, having concluded that revising this EUA is appropriate to protect the public health or safety under all this gobbledygook here, the FDA is reissuing uh, August 12th, 2021 letter of authorization in its entirety with revisions incorporated to clarify that the EUA will remain in place for the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine, remains in place, um, for the previously authorized indication, which is COVID-19, and uses, which is 16 and older, and to authorize the use of Comirnaty under this EUA for certain uses not included in the approved BLA. So they approved certain uses for Comirnaty, but there are other things that they think they want to use it for, which I believe I'm, I'm sort of reading between the lines because I couldn't get all this data out. But the um, they're going to be experimenting still with this Comirnaty. On, like they still really haven't tested it on all things like pregnant women, um, like uh, children under the age of 12, et cetera. So those are not, those things like that are not included in the BLA. The BLA is 16 or older, and um, I think, I don't know, you don't quote me on that one. It could be that they went with the 12 and older for that one. But for sure, the BioNTech, the EUA, that one was for 16 and older um, when uh, as, at last count. So unless that's changed, that's still true. So the answer is, is the EUA still in effect? The answer is yes and no. Absolutely in effect for the Pfizer, BioNTech original Pfizer vaccine or jab. 
not for the new Comer Nady thing, except for certain uses, which they're still going to be over here. So the EUA is still actually in effect. This is really important for people who are facing mandates. And I'll get into that in just a second. So this is what a, an actual approval letter looks like. So uh, this is for something when they approved the BLA, that biological licensing application for Aduhelm. Remember that stuff? I talked about that um, a little while ago. This is the uh, uh, the Biogen product for Alzheimer's, right? Remember, they, here's how this would normally read. They say, we have approved your BLA for Aduhelm effective this date. Done. That's how an actual approval letter reads. Uh, let's go back to this one. This is how this one reads. It's just a mess. Uh, we we're going to this most recent EUA and what we're going to do is we're going to keep most of that, but we're going to like rescind part of it. And we're going to, it's just a, this is not an actual approval letter. That's not what it looks like. So reading between the lines, the FDA was actually trying to, they're a little concerned about something. They didn't just give full straight up approval. And I know a lot of people in the press, including her times, they missed this. I understand that. Uh, it's a little bit subtle, but if you take the time to really read about, you know, what, what's going on here, this is not an approval right here for the Pfizer BioNTech, right? So that's why I started with two separate products. That one over there on your right, the Pfizer vaccine that says they're on, that's not approved. That's still under EUA. The Comirnaty is actually the one that they approved for the indications with some other indications housed over under the EUA side of things. So that comes into play because if you're going to be getting one of these two vaccines, just understand one of them comes with approval with a certain whole set of legal requirements and legal protections around it. And the other one comes under an EUA, which has a very different set of legal um, ramifications under it. So if you are facing the issue of saying, I now need to be or have to be, or I'm going to, you know, in some way be forced by my employer or whatever your circumstance is, and you have to get a vaccine and it's going to happen, you're going to want to make sure it says Comirnaty on the bottle. At, that would be my advice. You would absolutely want to make sure that. I think they're almost identical in terms of their biological construct and how they act and all of that. So you have a whole different decision around the side effects and things like that. If it's right for you, consult your doctor. But from a legal standpoint, that one on the left is a very different legal beast from the one on the right. So um, just just know about that. All right. So let's carry on. Uh, I got to talk about some trust here, though, because you remember this time right here, this, this Adahelm. I didn't just pick a, any old um, BLA that was going to be approved. I picked this one because because I've talked about this before. We got to talk about trust. Trust is really important in this. When they say, oh, my God, all these people who refuse to be vaccinated, they're just hesitant. Well, part of the reason they're hesitant is because maybe they've got data, maybe they've got information, maybe they have current circumstances, or maybe they've lost trust in the people giving them the data. And I got to tell you, sitting here in this seat, when I try and understand the data, literally every single piece of data I have to go through that comes out of the United States, I have to dig into it because it's usually giant nightmare. 99% of all people in the hospital are unvaccinated. Scratch, scratch, scratch at that data. You know what? It's not true. It's because somebody decided to count everybody who got in the hospital from the beginning of 2021 through to current and then caught said, well, look, they were mostly unvaccinated. Of course they were. We didn't even start vaccinating until January, right? It's just like, ugh. So every single number I go to, whether it's the amount of side effects, whether it's um, that are coming from these vaccines, whether it's the true rate of, of damage that's happening from Delta, how many Delta cases we actually have is actually estimated. It's not actually tracked. We don't know all kinds of stuff, how full hospitals really are. How far, Every time I dig into a number, I'm like, oh, there's another story there besides the one that I'm being spun. And I don't like that. It, it's, it's wearying. And so when they say, oh, you know, now that this vaccine has been FDA approved, there are people like me who go, oh, you mean this FDA? You mean this one that um, when they approved the Aduhelm, right? This came from my June 11th update here, right? The advisory committee, reading in yellow from the bottom down there, quote, the advisory committee, which convened in November, couldn't have been more openly skeptical of the drug. Ten of the 11 panelists found that there was not enough evidence to show it could slow cognitive decline. The 11th voted uncertain. The FDA took that expert advisory panel's advice and said, approved, right? So that's part one in this story. Part two, you won't see articles like this coming out uh, anymore, but 
Um, you will see them if you dig back into 2017. This was on um, Del Bigtree's uh, feed on Twitter. He's got this there, and he made a good point. He's like, yeah, you know, could, would you read an article like this today? Probably not. And by the way, this is from NPR. Their health section is now called Shots. You like it? See what they did there? Pretty cool. All right, um, and the, but from 2017, it says the FDA is under pressure from the Trump administration of all places back then to approve drugs faster. But researchers at Yale found that nearly a third of those approved from 2001 to 2010 had major safety issues years after the medications were made widely available to patients. 71 of the 222 drugs approved in the first decade of the millennium were withdrawn, required a black box warning on the side effects, or warranted a safety announcement about new risks. That FDA, that one, that one that ignores expert panels that say, I don't know about this thing, prove it anyway. This one that managed to sneak through one third of all drugs for an entire decade had to be withdrawn. That's the FDA we're talking about. So when I say we'll talk about some trust issues here, I think it's legit. I think people need um, to see that we had open, transparent processes and that the FDA was squeaky clean about being really honest about the totality of the data and the evidence that we actually have for these vaccines if they wanted to reduce the hesitancy, which, by the way, I would remind you, top hesitancy groups are PhDs, uh, healthcare workers, things like that. So... This is a just, it's an issue, right? So, so they're trying to paint the unvaccinated as, as ignorant. The problem is there's a lot of highly educated people who are also vaccine hesitant, as it were, at this point in time. And the, and the way you get past that, this is me giving PR advice to the FDA, is you are squeaky clean and open and transparent with every possible communication. You don't fudge stuff where people scratch at it and you find, oh, that's not true underneath it. You have to make sure that when people scratch at your data, it's bulletproof. You've been completely honest and transparent about the whole thing. That would be one way. Or you could go this way, which is, um, the this is from the letter where the, uh, the letter of authorization And they wrote here about safety. They said the FDA's review of the available safety from 2,260 participants in the 12 through 15 years of age groups who were followed for a median of two months after receiving the second dose, this was in the trial in the 12 to 15-year-old kids, said did not identify specific safety concerns that would preclude issuance of an EUA. Remember this girl, Maddie DeGarry? She was one of those. 2,260 people in that trial. She's 13 years old. Within hours after her second dose, she had severe abdominal pain. It progressed to a full-blown neurological condition. She's unable to walk. She's got a feeding tube. Her mother says before she got her final dose of the vaccine, she was healthy, got straight A's, had lots of friends, had a life. And this is her life right now. She was one of the, of the, of the children who was in this study that the FDA said, eh, you know what, we didn't find anything. There were really no significant issues of any concern. Well, I'm glad uh, that the FDA feels that there were no specific safety concerns, but this looks fairly specific to me. And this would be an important issue because one out of 2,260, right? Look at this. This is not a very big number. 2,260 participants. You tell me that my child has a one in 2,260 chance of going into this condition. That's a significant, serious effect. Now, it turns out that Pfizer recorded this as abdominal issues and recorded as a serious adverse event, but that's as far as it went. They didn't record that she had any neurological issues. She has had multiple trips, I believe close to a dozen to the hospital since, just trying to correct things and and do the best they can. So um, this is an example. When the FDA puts this out in their approval letter, they say, well, we didn't find anything, no specific safety concerns. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, FDA, you got to include this. You have to be honest about this. This is a very well-known story. People know all about this. So this has to be part of the dialogue. And you have to tell us exactly why this had nothing to do with her being in that trial. And if you're going to try and claim that it had nothing to do with the trial, I want you to tell me how often otherwise straight-A healthy students progress from completely healthy to not healthy in a 48-hour span of time. How often does this happen? What condition is this? Because I've looked around and I can't find an actual condition that would fit that. So my conclusion here is the FDA has lost its way. It has a lot of work to do to repair my trust if it wants to do that. Um, I'm not, it's not clear to me that it, that it does. 
So let's uh, carry on here. Uh, so let's talk about these safety issues. By the way, this also is from that um, approval letter. Page 11, subsection S. Vaccination providers will provide the vaccine information fact sheet for recipients and caregivers to each individual receiving vaccination and provide the necessary information for receiving their second dose and or third dose. So this is saying that the safety information has to be put forward, and I would totally agree with that. By the way, one of the things that's happened as well is many of our experts have really failed us and failed us badly in this. And by the way, none more so than the virology community, all those people who rallied around Peter Daszak, all the virologists who said, oh, it had to have a natural origin. Anybody else's wackadoodle. One of those guys is Michael Ulsterholm. Uh, he rallied around. This is the guy right here. That's a face you can believe right away. Nice looking guy, right? So this doctor talks to an NFL team about vaccines, says Americans should be more worried about taking aspirin. This is just in August 23rd. So this is part of this big push uh, around the FDA uh, action. And he says here, you know, aspirin isn't that safe. I tell people, be more worried about taking aspirin than this vaccine, said Dr. Michael Olsterholm. Be a real shame if people... Um, somehow forgot, you know, uh, uh, started to associate his name with this next statement that's about to be made. A University of Minnesota professor and former member of President Biden's COVID-19 advisory board, glad he's a former, Olsterholm noted that of 180 million dose people who've received the Pfizer's COVID shot, zero died. So what? This is intentionally deceitful. A shame on you, Dr. Olsterholm. I'll just call you Mike for now because you shouldn't get the, any of those monikers. This is incredibly deceitful thing to say. First up, when we go to the VAERS database, and again, you know, the VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Event Report database, yes, it's not complete. And yes, it's, it's you know, when people put things in there, it's doesn't guarantee that you can show causation, right? So if a, if a report lands in VAERS, people should study it, look at it, and say, they really didn't have anything to do with this, and it gets scrubbed out. But it's your early warning system. It's how you detect signal and noise. It is just not possible that 12,791 reports of death, that all of those can be explained away. So, hey, Dr. Ulsterholm, you're trying to tell us here that what would have to happen is that what he said is not one person has died. He's trying to imply that all 12,791 of these cases have been examined and found not to have been associated or caused by the, va the vaccine. He's not. This is why I say intentionally deceitful. What he's telling you is that nobody's actually really gone in and confirmed any of those. Because you know why? Nobody's bothering to go in and figure out if they can confirm that any of those 12,791 deaths were actually from the vaccine. Because you know what? There's not a lot of interest in finding a yes to that answer or a no. So they just don't happen. But it's impossible to say all of these can be explained away, which is what he just implied there, um, and then compared it to aspirin. But by the way, uh, death is one outcome. Of course, there's permanent disability, so we have 16,044. I think uh, at least one of those is Maddie DeGarry. We have all these office visits. Um, you know, we've got all these different serious, you know, adverse events that come in here. A lot of them not serious, 230,000 not serious. But 51,000 people hospitalized, right? It's, so it's not possible to say... Uh, 51,000 people have not been hospitalized from aspirin, Mike. Okay. So this is just this, but this is the kind of stuff that damages trust really, really badly. And let's imagine these NFL players. Now they listen to this guy. He's supposed to, you know, he's on president Biden's COVID-19 task force, a preeminent doctor from one of the best institutions run SIDRAP, all this stuff. And he's out here saying this stuff. And then somehow you're that NFL player and you come across this information what do you do with that? Who's right? Who's wrong? This is part of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, again, behind the paywall at my site, because we've got to talk about this kind of in private, about this menticide, this idea of induced mass psychosis, right? One of the rules of creating a mass psychosis in people is you give them conflicting information. You have authorities purposely give out information that is known to be suspect. I'm not saying this guy's in on some big evil plot, but I am telling you, his statements are creating a mass amount of confusion. They're not credible, and it's obviously deceitful. He's probably parsing. He probably meant to say we don't have one proven death from these vaccines, but we have a lot of deaths that are organized right around this vaccine, right? 
So it's like, you can't prove that that keg and those teenagers are connected. They just happen to be all around it. <laughs> it's just how it is. So at any rate, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, you can tell I'm getting fed up with the deceit around this whole story. I just don't like it. It doesn't have to be this way. We can use data. We can all have a shared set of common facts. If these vaccines have a few dark spots on them, let's talk about it. Let's make sure we have actual informed consent. People know what they're talking about. On balance, mostly safe, but not always. So what about the not always part? You can't just pretend that doesn't exist and hide it away and try and bluster people with your supposed expertise on this and say that aspirin, you should be more concerned about taking that. Um, That's legit no good uh, thing to do. So, by the way, uh, I'm, I pour through, I like my data, so I pour through it. Check this out. This was from that, uh, from that approval letter, Table 4, Study 2, Frequency and Percentages of Participants with Solicited Systemic Reactions by Maximum Severity Within 7 Days After Each Dose. These are all participants 56 years of age and older. So I wanted to just point something out here. They're doing it on Comirnaty, which I guess they're running studies on now. Um, 2,000 people in this arm, 1,860 in this arm. But I just want to point one thing out. This is just fever. That's all we're looking at. Here, 1.3% had fever after the first dose. And here, it was 11.8. So I think you'll see that went up almost tenfold. Whereas in placebo, it went from 0.4 to 0.2. No relationship there. So that's why you have a placebo control and things like this. Um, at this fever level, it went from 1.1 and it then jumped to 8.5. And here it went from 0.1. This is a pretty significant fever here to 2.9. That's a big jump right here. It went from zero uh, to 0.4. So, so you can see what's the progression shot one, not as bad as shot two. Shot two has a stronger impact, right? So the question would be, what happens with shots three, four, five, six, seven, or eight? Um, that would be a good question. We should we should be asking those questions and answering them. So, by the way, this came out, and I want to know why women are treated this way. I, I, I think women are getting short shrift in this particular story, and, and if women feel underserved or like nobody's listening to them or the medical system sort of overlooks their issues, I think they got a, a, a pretty strong case to be made. In particular, here's Laura Pendergrast, Pendergast writing in The Spectator just came out very recently on August 24th saying the COVID vaccines may affect periods. Are we allowed to talk about this? So I need to go into this because this is really a big deal, really a big deal. She writes here, um, she was writing about um, uh, women talking about their periods and she said, you know, I admit not having engaged much with this world. Uh, My period has always seemed to me a private matter of no interest to anybody else and only vague interest to myself. I feel a little uncomfortable bringing the subject to the pages of The Spectator, and I, but I, I do so because I was interested to read that British women have made 30,304 reports of changes to their periods after having received a COVID vaccine. I realized I'm one of them. I will spare the details, but suffice to say that after I had my first jab of Pfizer in late May, my cycle was flung off course. I did consider reporting it to the MHRA's yellow card scheme. That's the UK scheme. They call it the yellow card scheme. Through which people can voluntarily report any suspected side effects from the jabs, but confess I felt silly to worry. It wasn't exactly a blood clot or a heart murmur. When I had my second dose, the man in the booth asked whether I had experienced any side effects. I mentioned the changes to my period. He logged it on my file, said it would be flagged to the MHR scheme. And a minute later, A doctor rushed in to reassure me that there was no reason to be concerned that the COVID jab would affect my fertility. I hadn't asked if there was. So, so, uh, next question to that doctor is, oh, really? And before the jabs came out, would you have told me there would have been no reason to be concerned that my period would be flung off course? And you would have. This doctor has no clue what the impact on fertility is going to be. But we do know that 30,000 women in the UK have reported that their periods have been affected. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. This is really important. Continuing on. Great article, by the way. Millions of British women have been jabbed, so 30,304 reports will be a tiny proportion. A negligible number, you might say. But it doesn't seem negligible if you're one of those women. I imagine many will keep a record of their cycle, perhaps in their diary or on an app, and will have noticed a change. 
In the U.S., one research survey tracking menstrual changes brought on by COVID jabs received 140,000 responses. The two biological anthropologists conducting their research said they had expected to receive around 500 when they launched their survey. So they put this survey out. I mean, I don't know what, what kind of response biological anthropologists typically get, but they're like, well, 500 would be you know, an interesting sample size. They got 140,000 responses telling you that there's a signal out there, and it's very clear and it's obvious. But the real number of cases in the UK is possibly quite a bit higher than 30,304, but it's awkward talking about when the jab has done, what the jab has done to our periods. Friends tell me they've also been affected, and nope, they didn't report it either. Nobody wants to be thought of as hysterical, emotional, a tad neurotic. So instead, these conversations are going on discreetly, on WhatsApp chats, on internet threads, in hushed tones. Who wants to be accused of being the dreaded anti-vaxxer, right? Oh my God, I, I feel so bad for these people. Great article. Continuing on, quote, is it anti-vax to be concerned that these jabs may be having an effect on our menstrual cycles? No, it's not. It's, it's not anti-vax to be concerned. Oh, my God, that we're hearing this story. Can you imagine if this was a standard flu vaccine and this is three years ago and they start they put this flu vaccine out and the next thing you know, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of women are having a complete reorientation of their menstrual cycle. We have reports of women who are postmenopausal starting to bleed again. We have reports of people bleeding much more heavily than before uh, at different times that their cycles have been thrown out. That's an enormous impact. What is what? How is this happening? Is it a hormone disruption? Who knows? But it's a very very serious thing when when you're when something is delicately balanced as a reproductive cycle is thrown out of whack. Alarm bells should be going off. Should be going off. That's what a normal society and culture would do. Alarm bells. And they'd say, we better get to the bottom of this. But by the way, maybe we shouldn't be giving this to people who, like women, who uh, might be affected by this. That, that would be what I would consider to be normal. I would want to understand this. I message a doctor friend, quote, she says here, to specialize in women's health to ask if it's normal for vaccines to affect periods in such a way. Not really, she replies. I note that women aged 16 to 29 are one of the groups most likely to refuse the jab. I do not find this statistic hugely surprising. And a lot of these women are talking to each other. And as soon as you find out that a few of your friends have had extreme hormone disruptions and you're, you're in childbearing age, you're probably going to be fairly, what is the word? Hesitant? Um, of course, and rightly so. It does not seem surprising either that pregnant women are nervous about having the vaccine, despite the Royal College of Midwives and the Prime Minister's pregnant wife, Carrie Johnson, suggesting that there's nothing to worry about. Just had my second jab and feeling great, she wrote on her personal Instagram page. In another survey run by the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists in May, just under 60% of pregnant women said they had declined the vaccine And they may not have been hugely reassured by the RCOG's own literature on this thing. So, by the way, there's just, this is just, I don't even know what to say about it at this point in time. Um, So, (laughs) quote, back to fertility, Dr. Edward Morris, the RCOG president, has reassured women that there is no biologically plausible mechanism by which current vaccines would cause any impact on women's fertility. Dr. Morris, I have a question for you. Uh, just one. I'll be like Columbo in that old movie, that old TV thing. Uh, just, just one more question, Dr. Morris. Um, just one. Uh, did you predict that there was going to be a biologically plausible mechanism by which women's periods were going to be thrown out of whack? Oh, you didn't predict that. I have a follow-up question. How can you be so certain then that now there will be no downstream reproductive issues? Hmm? You can't. That's called implausible medical quackery you're a quack to, to you can't say that you you know you can say i can't conceive of any biologically plausible mechanism but at the same time we don't have information for why women's periods have been thrown out of whack so strongly and so comprehensively and for so many this is a really significant side effect right um and so uh she writes continuing to finish this up while i'm comforted by that are you i want you to think that through just one more step just just a little further. It is also the case that women associate their periods with their fertility. 
And there is reason to believe that COVID jabs are having an effect on some women's periods. A month after my second jab, I made a note that my latest cycle is messed up once again. So this is pretty strong. It's it's happening all over the place. Um, and we're, we have lots and lots of reports about this. So what does that mean? All right. Remember I, I was when I was reading earlier, they said, oh, you know, it was on uh, section S. People should be given uh, this effects side effect sheet or the um, sorry, the information sheet. So I went and found the information sheet. This there's the link down there. This is uh, was actually updated on August 23rd. So the information sheet, this is what you would get if you were going to go and you said, I want informed consent. What do you got? They should hand you this and it's a very long document, but I pulled a few pieces out. And so this information sheet answers and asks a bunch of questions. The first question is, what are the risks of Comirnaty uh, and the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine? See how they're separating them? Two things. There's Comirnaty and the Pfizer-BioNTech. So those are two products, separate things. So they say here, there is a remote chance that the vaccine could cause a severe allergic reaction. Um, First question, remote's not a number. We have numbers for these things. Numbers should be put in there. <laughs> like, like, what? What's what's my chance of winning the uh, Powerball? It's remote. Would you like to play again? Uh, you know, that's a different answer from what's the chance of this uh, coming up heads, this uh, flipping this penny, having it come up heads twice. Uh, it's remote. You know, it, it's just it's anyway. I hate this. <laughs> it just treats people like idiots. Like we can't give them numbers. They'll just confuse them. Poor dears. A severe allergic reaction would usually occur within a few minutes to one hour after getting a dose of the vaccine. And for this reason, um, you know, if you see any of these things, this all means you're having a bad allergic reaction. Those happen within the first 15 minutes. Um, as well, I think this is why they started to hedge. They are noting the myocarditis. This has risen to a level which they can't really ignore. It's very difficult when you have 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old boys ending up in the hospital for days at a time. Um, so they had to put this in here now. They, uh, and again, they say here, has occurred in some people who've received Comirnaty. Some is not a number. Um, so uh, at any rate, uh, they mentioned that. But the reason I'm going down this path is they say, to get past the myocarditis, they, they say here, if you read this thing, they say side effects that have been reported with Comirnaty and or Pfizer-BioNTech would include, let's read them all, severe allergic reactions, non-severe allergic reactions, myocarditis, pericarditis, injection and pain at site pain, uh, tiredness, headache, muscle pain, chills, joint pain, fever, injection site swelling, injection site redness, nausea, feeling unwell, swollen lymph nodes, diarrhea, vomiting, arm pain. See what's missing? There's nothing in here about women's reproductive health. It's entirely missing. This is the safety fact sheet that you would get for informed consent, just updated on August 23rd, put out with the Pfizer-BioNTech and the Comirnaty stuff, and it doesn't mention the changes or effects to women's reproductive health or their menstrual cycles. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible that a woman can write an article about this in The Spectator? How is it possible that I've been, for months I've been on this and reading threads about this on Reddit, uh, in, in places like uh, uh, 2X Chromosomes, a subreddit, and other places, um, uh, post-COVID uh, COVID, vaccinated. Um, the, there are places there where you, these effects have been there for a long time. But how is it possible that I'm able to detect this signal and people are even writing articles about it, but the people in charge of making sure that this stuff is safe missed it entirely because it needs to be on this list. It's not on this list. How is it not on this list? This is like a, such a grotesque oversight. I hardly know what to say. But again, my message, if we want to build confidence and we want to rebuild trust around these things, you can't have a glaring error like that. You can't leave it off. I understand it might cause confusion and you'd have to explain it and people would have to do some work and understand it. But to leave it off um, is, is, uh, is completely unacceptable in this particular case. So this is the fact sheet again, and um, uh, what's interesting here about this is uh, they say um, they say that uh, they have the same formulation can be used interchangeably, both this uh, the Comirnaty, uh, which has been approved, and the still under EUA Pfizer-BioNTech. 
I don't know why those two things are separate. I don't know why they weren't both just both just given approval because they're substantially the same thing. Best guess? I don't know. It's something. It's a legal thing. It can't be a it can't be a, a medical thing. And by the way, the FDA shouldn't be concerning itself with legal issues. It ought to be concerning itself with medical issues. But at any rate, um, I think that's what's happening. By the way. Uh, on this same Comer and 80 fact sheet uh, down there, one of the questions asked and answered is, what if I decide not to get Comer and 80 vaccine or, all important, or the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine? They say, answer, under the EUA, it is your choice to receive or not receive the vaccine. Should you decide not to receive it, it will not change your standard medical care. Revised 23rd of August, so this is the most up-to-date thing they got. Now I'm confused. Now I'm confused because before they said Comer 80 was approved, Pfizer, um, uh, BioNTech is not approved. It's still under EUA. But here they specifically answered this and said under EUA, it's your choice to receive or not receive the vaccine in response to both of these. So again, um, it, my wish on these things, I'm sure this thing was read and reread probably a thousand times before it went out, right? They've got committees, QA committees, QC, reviewed, re-reviewed. Somebody sat down and thought about every word that goes out on this fact sheet very, very carefully. But right here, they just introduced um, a little bit of confusion because now they basically are implying that they're both still under the EUA umbrella. So now I'm confused. But for sure, the answer was it's your choice to receive or not receive the vaccine yet places are going to be using this to mandate it. So imagine your confusion. You're a firefighter. You're a nurse. You're a doctor. You're a professor. You're somebody else. You're, you're, you're going out into the world and trying to figure out what you're going to do. And you walk into the doctor's office. You say, my company's requiring me as a condition of employment to get this because it's mandated, because it's been approved. And they hand you this fact sheet, and you open it up, and you read this thing, and you say, it says here, it's my choice whether to get it or not. It's not mandated. Now what do we do? It shouldn't be this hard. Like, how, how is... This is exhausting. Like, this is simple stuff. Like, like to we should be able to get this clear and clean and easy and right. Like, this shouldn't be this hard. So I have to believe it's either... There's either that much um, incompetence going on or there's something else going on which has nothing to do with the actual substance of of what we need to understand all right anyway i don't know what to make of that i just need you to understand is it approved or not approved now i don't know because according to the old safety to, to the information sheet that comes with it they said here under the eua it's your choice and that applies to both of them i'm pretty sure we have to go with the approval letters as the highest uh, authority in this and the approval letters clearly say that um this one here is approved for COVID-19, this one's not approved yet at this point in time. I think that's what we have to go with. But if you have the choice and you have to, if you're, if you're, you know, going to be out and you finally made the decision to get one under whatever terms, make sure you get this one because this one has different legal protections than this one. Well, that's how I read it currently. All right. Um, so at any rate, uh, continuing on from that New York Times article I opened with, uh, another quote from there, they said, the regulatory move goes a step beyond the emergency use authorization that the agency granted in December. More than 92 million people have already been fully vaccinated since then with Pfizer doses. Some who have rejected the vaccines, expressing fears that they are experimental and say they wanted to wait until the agency spent more time studying the safety until they're fully approved. Um, they're going to have to work hard here because the uh, most recent numbers we have is that 52% of the population is fully vaccinated, and a lot of those are younger people, so they can't be. But when you look at the actual percentages by age groups, there's still quite a number of people who are not yet vaccinated in the United States. So, I, you know me, I, I'm, I, I like simple. So uh, I had a very simple solution, which was uh, I tweeted this out uh, yesterday. I said there's an easy way to immediately boost vaccine acceptance, and that's to reinstate manufacturers' liability. A second way, have the government accept that uh, liability. That neither are being discussed as options by the media and or the government signal, sends very bad signals to many people. You probably just heard about, a you know, uh, GM just recalled uh, an electric car. You know why? Because two of them caught on fire out of 37,000. It has a, a, a default rate of life, what is that, 0.6% or whatever. So two cars catch on fire out of 36,000. They're like, yeah, we got to recall the whole thing. Why? Because GM is liability. If they have one of those cars catches fire in a garage, burns a house down, kills a family, GM is on the hook. 
And so, of course, what happens next? GM says, I think we better, I think we better <laughs> recall these things right away. Liability is, is just that, it's that Charlie Munger quote. You show me the incentive, I'll show you the outcome. People in corporations who have liability or on the hook for something or have responsibility for an outcome, they behave differently than companies and, and entities and institutions that don't. So it's a little concerning to a bunch of people that, you know, if, if you have this thing that could potentially throw your system off, what is the liability here? And it's really unclear. And so this gets even less clear when you look at things. This is pulled from a legal site. I won't read all of this, but, you know, they're really going through the question here. And employers are exploring their options for mandating or encouraging workers to get encouraging to get the vaccines. Uh, they may even want to offer vaccines on site when they're available. So can an employer be held liable if a worker has an adverse reaction to the vaccine? These are lawyers sort of parsing through this. They said, well, um, based on information released in conjunction with the first approved vaccinations, the chances of serious adverse reactions appear low. This attorney, of course, uh, saying this. Um, even so, employers have a number of potential legal defenses to such claims. So you can already see the, the maneuvering around all of this. Assuming the employee could establish that it was the vaccine that caused harm. Look at that. Look where the burden of proof is. Assuming the employee could establish that it was the vaccine that caused harm. Good luck establishing that. Maddie DeGary, you know what? The doctors within a day of her, of her crashing into that wheelchair said, yeah, the vaccine didn't have anything to do with it. It's really hard to prove these things. So assuming this lawyer is exactly right, it's unlikely that the employer itself would have administered the vaccine in the first place. So off the hook, <laughs> I'm just going to mandate it. But oh, was that was that a nurse that gave that to you from the local hospital? Not on us. Employers that mandate or encourage employees to get vaccinated will likely partner with a healthcare provider or other authorized entity to administer the vaccine, but they may still be concerned about potential legal liability if an employee has an allergic reaction or a number of other reactions um, that we just pointed out, at least, at least some of those. Uh, so and another attorney here says, explain that an employer-mandated vaccine is considered part of work, so under most state laws, an adverse reaction would be covered by workers' compensation. Um, workers' compensation has been the employee's only recourse for other employer-required vaccinations, and that's due to all sorts of complex rules and laws, blah, blah, blah. This is saying that if you get injured, good luck, you got a fight on your hand. You're going to have to prove that you were injured by it. You're going to have to fight a big company with deep legal resources. They've got lawyers who are already thinking about ways that they can evade or dodge any responsibility. The manufacturer isn't responsible or liable. The government isn't responsible or liable. So it falls down to workers' compensation, which, by the way, is 66% of your salary for a set period of time, usually no more than four years. So if you have long-term permanent disability, now you got to fall into a different claims category. And there again, uh, you ain't getting rich off of this. Um, so for people who do end up, if, if this happens, people who get um, long-term injured in some significant way, this is just a fancy way of saying, you're it you know, tag, you're it. Uh, that's, that's the whole framework, which brings me back to, again, if we really wanted to, like, this makes me, this, I, you could understand how this makes some people hesitant. Let's imagine you've already had bad adverse events. You, you have some concern about your own personal health status. You're not worried how you're going to respond. Maybe you think you've already had COVID and you, you don't think you're a good candidate for this, or you've already had bad allergic reactions to other things, maybe shellfish, but not a vaccine, but you can't get a uh, 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 any sort of uh, uh, an exemption from this and you know you got to take it, your next question is, well, what happens if something goes bad? I'm the breadwinner for my family. Got three kids. Got a, In my case, I might have a stay-at-home mom or a woman who might have a stay-at-home dad or whatever. You have to weigh that risk out. And this is basically saying, like everything else, tag, you're it. Nobody else is responsible. You're liable, which means, great, now you have to make a decision about how you want to go forward jab or job? Am I going to get the vaccine or am I going to keep my, my job? This is a decision more and more people are going to have to make coming up. But the first thing we need to understand is even here, they didn't understand this. And um, if any of you lawyers need, need uh, research help, I'm available. No, I'm not. Um, they said here, uh, you know, now that it's now that this is the, uh, the first approved vaccinations, there are no approved vaccinations yet available in the U.S. market. Comirnaty does not yet exist, as far as I'm aware. You can't get it anywhere. You will soon, but not yet. 
Um, so we don't have any of those. So conclusions here are, hey, if you're going to get that uh, Pfizer shot, just be sure to get the branded one, the Comirnaty. Uh, as at least that has a slightly different legal distinction. I'm not sure how that'll play out in our overly litigious society, but at least it's got some level of protection. It's not under EUA. It's a slightly different uh, legal framework. Uh, by the way, just as a reminder, nobody can mandate that you get an EUA anything. No mandates can exist around that stuff as far as I understand it right now. Uh, women's reproductive health has been shockingly overlooked, again, and ignored by the entire system. It's just a tragedy. Another one. Um, the lack of liability assumption by the government pharma companies coupled to the near-complete silence of the media on this whole thing is just not helping. Why can't we have this discussion? Who's liable here? You can't mandate something and say, I'm going to mandate that you have to do this and you have to be completely liable for whatever happens next. That's just, who does that? That's ridiculous. Um, that should not happen. And by the way, none of this makes any sense to me because if, if it were about public health, right, we'd be talking about losing weight, getting exercise, vitamin D levels. We'd be talking about all sorts of other proven effective responses that we could be doing that would, would bolster public health, not just around COVID, but maybe in general. That would be awesome, right? And we aren't hearing about any of that except on like Joe Rogan. He's talking about it. I'm talking about it here. There's other places that are considered sort of fringe. And you watch the mainstream media circle the wagons and, and just sort of, uh, you know, uh, slam on that. By the way, new feature as we come into the close, comments of the week. Here are the comments I love that I found under last week's uh, YouTube video. Conservative Joe wrote, uh, the games of the CDC and FDA have made me lose 99% of my respect for these institutions. Conservative Joe, I hope I didn't cost you your last percent on this uh, particular episode. Thank you, Chris Chico, uh, 280. Thank you, Chris. You've been consistently six months ahead of the crowd when it comes to this coverage. Chem Suicide wrote, this episode, last week's, was the best content you put out this year so far. Thanks. My understanding of the COVID dilemma has been measured um, in the past year. Uh, you do your work, appreciate your effort. And finally, Flux Capacitor wrote, whoa, Chris, 400,000 subs. Very happy to have cracked that big round number. And uh, glad the overlords let you get views again. Thanks for all the info. Been a viewer since last January and your breakdown of the data second to none. Thanks again. You're all welcome. So thank you. Love the comments. Uh, I do read them. If you want to uh, follow me at any of these places. You can see them right down here. So that's how you follow me. If you want to support us, please like this video, share this video. If you know somebody who needs to see this video, please send it along to them. Um, request, uh, share the video with five people and that'll help us do what we do, which is reach more people. And because we can reach more people, it helps us reach more people. That's how it works. Remember, it doesn't have to be this way. So that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope this video stays up. Gonna do best I can. I have more incredible information coming, and it's in part two of this, which you can find over at peakprosperity.com. You can follow the link to that in the comments down below, and um, maybe we'll put a little thing right over my shoulder here, too. You could click on that. So either way, find it. Uh, come over to Peak Prosperity, and I'm going to continue this because i got even more amazing things to talk about, and some of them uh, are really important. All right, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening.